Bienvenidos, pendejos. Me llamo es Will Kauf y yo soy your host. ¿Qué hora es? Es hora del episodio 15, el Super Show Podcast Gigante. Con 12 películas malditas. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Silver Emulsion Podcast. It's uh, episode number 15, and I missed last week. So uh, this is going to be a stacked super show full of uh, 12 fucking movies. (laughs) Now that's value in a podcast. How long am I going to talk about each movie? Who knows? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I will say that um, (laughs) I don't know how much I'm going to remember, honestly, about these fucking movies I watched two weeks ago. But uh, we'll see. So, (laughs) I don't know. Um, Usually I do things in chronological order, and uh, I didn't actually plan any of this out, which I should have, because there's a fuckload of movies, uh, and most of them are out of uh, the good country of Hong Kong, because, um, well, because I decided to take a couple, uh, well, I decided to take a week off from writing reviews uh, last week, and... So whenever I don't write reviews, I can watch more movies uh, because I don't have to waste that time on reviews. Um, as long as other things, you know, time permitting. And whenever I don't have to review a Shaw Brothers movie, um, I feel like I need to watch Hong Kong movies because uh, I try to maintain my integrity of like uh, watching the Shaw Brothers movie in in chronological order and sort of keeping myself in that mindset of whatever year I'm in so I don't um, you know if I watch too many 80s like fucking Sammo Hung movies or something Jackie Chan if I watch too many of those like super fucking killer choreographed movies with crazy ass stunts uh, I do get a little uh <laughs> fucking jaded when I look back at older movies, and it's it's no fault of the older movies. So anyway, I try to restrict uh, my Hong Kong intake when I'm reviewing the Shaw Brothers stuff. I don't watch anything, I don't know, probably three or four days beforehand, uh, but I, I decided to take a week off because I needed to uh, work on a couple of lists that are going to be coming out. Um, so I watched a, a, a fucking <laughs> a load of Hong Kong movies, and then I was gonna review some some stuff this week, but uh, the the fucking Hong Kong movie train was uh, very alluring, and I decided fuck it, <laughs> I'm just gonna watch more Hong Kong movies. Um, and and as it turns out, I didn't have a whole lot of time to work on the lists and so I only worked on one part of ha- of 
of one list, like uh, not even half of one list <laughs> got done. So uh, I think I can finish that one tomorrow, maybe, uh, to get it up next week. And then the next week after that, I'll have the other list, theoretically. And then uh, reviews will come the week after that. I hate to take weeks off because fucking all my series just there <laughs> there's so many movies to them and oh fuck I just found another full moon movie that I somehow it, either it didn't have an IMDb before or something anyway I just fucking <laughs> just found it so there's another uh full moon movie to the list um yay <laughs> no I enjoy them I I I I I really do like those movies they're not they're not great but i don't know i'll be sad when they're done no i won't but i will be <laughs> all right anyway so a bunch of movies um i'm gonna keep i guess i'll do it how i always do it with chronologically and then um and go from there or i could talk about the horror movies first and then go all hong kong i don't know what i should do well whatever fuck it i'll just uh start at the beginning so on, when's the last, the last podcast I recorded on Christmas Eve. So what did I watch Christmas Day? I watched the wonderful 1980 horror movie at one time released by Troma, uh, Christmas Evil, also known as You Better Watch Out. And Christmas Evil, um... Is fucking great. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. It's it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it. Um, it's still kind of in the Christmas season, so if you get a hold of it, now's the time. Otherwise, you got to wait a whole year, or you got to watch it out of season. Anyway, it's about a guy. Uh, it starts it starts in his youth, in his childhood, where he. Uh, He's fucking like, this little kid's all about Santa. You know, a lot of kids are all about Santa, but this kid is fucking, like, all about Santa. He's pumped. And he's in his room. He can't sleep. Fucking Santa's coming. And he hears, like, some noises and shit downstairs. So... This kid's so pumped, he wants to go see Santa eating his fucking cookies and shit. <laughs> so, he goes downstairs. And he does see Santa. But, Santa is played not, you know, Santa is not Santa. Because Santa doesn't exist. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Did I ruin your life? <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 true. Santa does not exist. But anyway, so his dad, I think it's his dad. I don't know. I get the impression that this guy might have come from like a foster home, but I don't think that that's part of the story. So anyway, he sees his dad, um, or what I assume is his dad. Uh, they probably say, but it's fucking two weeks ago, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway. He sees his dad dressed up as Santa, and he's uh, getting frisky with uh, his mom, um, Harry. 
Harry is the little kid. So he sees his parents uh, with, dressed up as Santa, and uh, I don't. she's not dressed up. But anyway, so they're uh, getting uh, busy, and uh, Harry, who, I don't know, he's a little kid, so he gets kind of uh, traumatized by that. He, he, I don't know why exactly, but uh, he didn't like seeing Santa doing anything other than eating cookies and leaving presents and going up a chimney or whatever so now the movie goes a little bit forward it goes into uh, now harry is probably in his mid-30s to 40s roughly i don't know i'm not great with ages um and so he now he works at a toy factory and his apartment is like fucking every place you could have a thing it's a fucking christmas thing he's got little elves and little fucking santas and just everything everywhere is just christmas the fuck out you could say that he's a little obsessed uh, with christmas so clearly you know this this event in his childhood triggered <laughs> some serious fucking trauma that he's uh hasn't really worked through and he's just it's all it's festering in his brain and um so then he's working in the factory he's recently been promoted the guys that, that work at the factory they don't like him really at all and so one of the guys tricks him into uh working his shift on the line and it's like christmas eve or some shit like that and so because he's all about santa and he he still kind of um, operates under the the notion that Santa is real. <laughs> so, like, it's like his brain couldn't comprehend. Like, he saw his dad, and he was just like, "Oh no, <laughs> fucking Santa's not real." What? <laughs> um, and he's sexual. Oh shit. So, so anyway, he's making toys, and he's all about like fucking perfection. I gotta make some dope ass toys, and not you know he really takes pride in it. And and so over time, over the course of the movie, it's a kind of a slow burn. It's kind of a little bit of a just a character thing, not in a in a similar way to the way that Silent Night, Deadly Night is, um, but similar in terms of. It's not like fucking crazy horror from moment one or anything. I mean, is any movie like that? Yeah, probably. I don't know. But um, it's a slow build to the horror. And to be honest, there's not a whole lot of like real uh, like gore and, and killings and stuff. It's perfect the way it is. I think it's a fucking flawless movie. I love it to death. It has, hands down, one of my all-time favorite endings to a fucking movie. Like, to a, specifically to a horror movie. But, I mean, I would say to any movie. The fucking ending. I love the fucking ending. It's great. Um, I believe the ending was relatively controversial and that a lot of people don't like it um but i don't know uh, i just read a couple of things on the internet that said uh when they did a 
like a fucking test screening or something, people were like throwing tomatoes or some shit. I mean, I, they didn't say throwing tomatoes, but you you know, <laughs> they're throwing something, fucking lettuce heads or some shit at the screen, uh, pissed off. Anyway, so he, I forget exactly what happens, but he eventually dons the Santa suit. And this dude is so all about Christmas that he, like, makes his own fucking Santa suit. He doesn't just go down and buy one. He, he fucking crafts one. And it's a goddamn good Santa suit. <laughs> and, like, when he puts the beard on, he fucking applies it with glue to his face. And he can't fucking take it off. It's, it's like, it's fucking great. It's a really, really solid movie. And I think because it... It's uh, subverting, you know, Christmas, and, and and so I guess it's, like, a lot of people wouldn't want to watch it because it's, uh, <laughs> like, making this joyous time into uh, a, a horrific thing or whatever, but I don't fucking care. <laughs> uh, and it's a really interesting movie, um, really well done. The main guy is played by a guy named Brandon Maggart and he's fucking great in the in the lead role um also in the movie playing his brother is a guy named Jeffrey Damun who uh is a well-known um character actor I would imagine that pretty much everybody knows his face uh, if nothing else, he's in a bunch of Frank Darabont movies like The Green Mile and The Mist and fucking Shawshank. Uh, he's in a bunch of shit. Very well-known, uh, recognizable guy. Uh, so he's in it, and I don't know if this was... I don't think it was his first movie, but it's uh, it's, 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 it's back there. It's one of his... Uh, older movies uh, to the point that I he still has a fair amount of hair <laughs> usually he's pretty bald uh, so anyway that's fucking Christmas Evil I don't know what do I have any notes for this fucking thing I do oh shit I should have looked at these fuck um, oh yeah <laughs> that's right he fucking when he sees Santa uh fucking around with his mom <laughs> fucking Harry runs into the attic and like finds this little Santa snow globe <laughs> and he smashes it and then he takes the glass from the snow globe and fucking slices his hand open and then <laughs> is like looking at the red like the the red is somehow I don't know <laughs> It's it's red, it's Christmas, I don't know what the fucking symbolism is, but <laughs> he fucking fixates on this shit. It's crazy. Um, this fucking little kid, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty dark. Um Oh yeah, and and, and when he's an, an adult he he kind of acts like he is Santa. Like he he knows that Santa is like another guy he doesn't actually think he's santa at this point but he he fucking watches like the neighborhood kids and writes down like the good and bad shit that they do he has these giant like santa books of kids and shit 
<laughs> it's so dope, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I fucking love it. You gotta watch it, man. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's fucking great, and I highly recommend it. I love it to death. Uh, it's a, it's fucking great. Um, oh yeah, that's the other thing about this movie. Um, when he becomes Santa and he starts to snap, well he snaps a little bit before that, I mean, he snaps kind of at the beginning of the movie, and then he slowly sort of gets, like, uh, more unhinged as the movie goes on, but there's a certain point uh, later on in the movie when, like, there's no going back, he's fucking crazy at this point, and the way that the director utilizes the imagery of of him in a Santa suit and Christmas carols and shit like it's it's so great it just really encapsulates this guy's fucking madness and like the hallucinatory state that he's in where he's thinking that he's fucking like doing Santa like like he's he is Santa at this point in his mind and and he thinks he's doing like great things it's fucking great but anyway around that time there's a part where it's like oh shit this is some serious shit is going on and then there's a fucking on the soundtrack there's a bell that just keeps ringing and if uh, if you've seen Boogie Nights there's a scene in Boogie Nights that's very long. I mean, the bell ringing in Boogie Nights is like fucking... I don't... It's been a long time since I've seen Boogie Nights, but I remember it being like 10 minutes or some shit where this bell is just fucking ringing as all the characters throughout all the various subplots are all just getting fucking hammered with shitty, like, the lowest points of their life. And uh, in... And I don't know that that uh, P.T. Anderson has seen Christmas Evil or likes it or whatever, but it's a very similarly used bell with the similar sort of cadence, and it doesn't go on for minutes on end, but it goes on for enough to where if you've seen Boogie Nights, you'll be like, oh, that's, that's very similar to that. So maybe uh, that's where he got the idea. Uh, so that's Christmas Evil. I would definitely say watch it. Of course, I mean I've probably said it a number of times already, uh, but so uh, fucking yeah, <laughs> fucking do it up. Next up on the list, let me get the fucking thing so I can look at it and maybe jog my memory because I didn't take a one goddamn note for this movie. Oh, but how many notes do you need for this fucking movie? Um, so, this movie is called Zombie Nightmare. And Zombie Nightmare is a movie that was made in 1987. And it stars... <laughs> Are you ready for this? It stars Adam West. Uh, Batman's own Adam West. And John Michael Thor, the star of uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, and uh, 
fucking heavy metal <laughs> whiz kid extraordinaire <laughs> uh, lead member of Thor and the Tritons. <laughs> um, and uh, Tia Carrere is in the movie. I believe this is her, this is her uh, first movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but don't quote me on that because I I don't know that I looked that up or anything. <laughs> I think I read it a, a while back, and I don't know. It's in my head, so it must be true, right? Uh, okay, so zombie nightmare. In a nutshell, the movie opens and uh, there's a husband and a wife and a little kid, and it's in it's set in the past, like I don't know, fifties or sixties, something like that, probably sixties, and. They're playing baseball, like, at this fucking community league or whatever. And the dad is this, uh, like, you know, like, a, he's really into baseball. And he's playing, and he hits a fucking home run or whatever. I don't know. He hits something, and it's a big, big deal. And then, so everybody now is walking home from the game. But there's these two asshole greasers who want to do some racist shit to this black girl that uh, happened to come to the game and wanted to check it out. So the the family interrupts uh, these guys as they have started to assault the black girl. And the dad, who's this big fucking burly dude, uh, runs over to stop them and in the... Uh, in the the ruckus he was killed so then the movie flashes forward and now the child uh who who was i don't know maybe eight let's say <laughs> just pull a number out of my ass and uh so he's like that old and now he's like 1920 or something like that. I don't I don't know how old he's supposed to be in the movie. Something like that. Uh, he might still be in high school. I don't I don't fucking know. Does it matter? No. Okay. So and now he's played by John Michael Thor. So that uh, is the is the basis of the movie. And the only thing that's weird about that is that the very first scene of the movie before the credits if I remember correctly it's definitely before the the, the scene set in the past the 60s scene is a scene of a voodoo priestess uh, doing some kind of resurrection ritual it's the first scene of the movie she's resurrecting some fucking corpse and when the corpse resurrects it's very clearly John Michael Thor. I'm a fan. I'd know him anywhere. At least in the 80s. I don't know about now. Um, so, my first thought was like, what the fuck? John Michael Thor was resurrected at the beginning. Now here he is playing baseball. Is he a zombie? You know? But as the movie moves forward, it becomes apparent. 
John Michael Thor goes to a store to pick up some groceries for his mom, who is uh, taking care of him. He's a single parent. Have you got the provolone? Uh, Don't. Would I forget how much your mama likes provolone, eh? (laughs) yeah? How is the new job working out? Ah, it's not bad, sir. Except they want me to cut my hair. Tony, you you cut the hair, you lose the strength, no? (laughs) While at the store, uh, a bunch of asshole teens are driving around, being assholes, as uh, teens will. And so he has got his his groceries, he's leaving the store, and uh, those asshole kids fucking run him over. And they kill him. But, since we already know, uh, he is resurrected by a voodoo priestess. And then uh, is now, for the rest of the movie, uh, a zombie. And he is uh, looking to take revenge on the assholes that killed him. Now, that sounds great. Right? Great setup. The one problem with that is that as soon as John Michael Thor is a zombie, maybe like one or two scenes are not like this. But for the most part, the the zombie John Michael Thor is not John Michael Thor. It's some other dude that doesn't look anything like John Michael Thor. Now, maybe... His body's decomposing. <laughs> his facial structure is, is, you know, his bones have withered to the point that, you know, his cheeks are sinking in. I don't know. But it's very clearly another guy. And that's okay because the movie is still very fun. But for me personally, I came for the John Michael Thor. So as soon as I saw him get killed, I thought, oh shit, I love John Michael Thor as a live, living human being fighting the good fight and playing baseball, but now he's zombie John Michael Thor? (laughs) A supernatural John Michael Thor? He can't be stopped. This is going to be the shit. And then he's not... He, he's not the fucking guy in this in the makeup and it's very disappointing i mean you know he probably had to go out on tour you know do a fucking europe 87 tour <laughs> play fucking budokan <laughs> i don't know but anyway he's not there so it, it definitely diminishes the fun factor that being said the movie is still very fun um In terms of execution, it's fucking, it's a really bad movie. It's not pieced together especially well. Um, But if you're watching this movie with any sort of foreknowledge of of John Michael Thor, I'm sure you would enjoy it. It's definitely not to the caliber of Rock and Roll Nightmare. (laughs) That's for goddamn sure. And... (laughs) Because that movie is fucking great. Um, and I should I should rewatch it again now that I've watched this one. Um, 
But I would say if you like uh, B-horror movies, definitely watch Zombie Nightmare, uh, even though it is uh, on a few different levels kind of disappointing. Um, but I would say if you're not super into B-movies and bad movies, uh, it's probably going to be kind of a hard movie to watch because it's, <laughs> it's not like it... <laughs> The plot is not, it's not good enough to like hold your attention or anything. I don't know how to, how to describe it. There's a couple of good kills, but like the, the gore is not great and the effects work is kind of shitty, but it's fun. I mean, what more do I want? You know? <laughs> All right. So that's two movies. How long am I doing? I'm already at a half an hour and two movies. What does that uh, what does that come out to? That's a half an hour, so that'd be an hour. That would be like a three-hour show. Yeah. Well, if if, if that holds, then this is going to be a three-hour show. Oh lordy! I hope not. I hope not. That's going to be too much. I can barely talk at this point. My throat's all fucked up, and I'm only two movies in. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I didn't take notes for, like, none of these other movies. Oh, I did. Oh, well, okay. I took notes for a couple of them. Hmm. So maybe I'll have less to say about these other ones. Okay, so the next movie is... Well, should I do the last... I'll do the last horror movie, because everything else is a Hong Kong movie. Yeah. Alright, so then on New Year's Day, I was going to watch it on the 31st, uh, but I didn't get to it uh, because the 31st was uh, very busy for me, uh, and so, and that's why I didn't get to do the podcast also. But anyway, so on New Year's Day, I was able to watch uh, the movie, the, the, the horror movie called New Year's Evil, uh, also from 1980 like uh christmas evil <laughs> a lot of evil in 1980 man uh so new year's evil did i take any i don't write anything down for this movie i don't fucking think so i didn't even write it on the list jesus christ <laughs> okay so new year's evil it's about a new year's kind of tv show i don't want to say telethon but it's a it's like a live TV show with bands playing live and like people dancing and shit live in the studio there. And then they have uh, like a phone bank thing for viewers to call in and talk to the host. And I don't know exactly what the point of all that is other than to just make a TV show. But I don't think it was like PBS where they're selling, you know... <laughs> Like, oh, if you want to buy a recording of this program, send $49.99 and $12 shipping. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think they were selling anything, but, you know, for all I know, they, they were had a whole fucking Jerry Lewis telethon thing going for the muscular dystrophy. But I, I don't pay attention too much to 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 that. Well, I would pay attention if it mattered. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't 
<laughs> so much for the fucking super show. <laughs> super shit show. <laughs> okay, so anyway. Yeah. Here's what I want you to do. You go in and go to the job. And while you're in there, you buy the biggest goddamn bottle of champagne they got. New Year's Eve uh, TV show celebration and uh, a guy calls in, talks to the host, and says, um, I'm going to kill somebody when New Year's strikes in each time zone of the U.S. Um, and I'm coming to kill you last at the last time zone. I don't know if he says all that in the first call, but that's where he gets eventually. So anyway, so it's basically just, uh, in, it's 1980, so uh, <laughs> the TV show allows them to have uh, live band footage, which is a, a great um, thing that I love about 80s movies. It's the, <laughs> there's a lot of like band performance scenes, and they're probably, I mean, I'm sure they're all lip-synced, but I don't know, there's something about it that I like. I think it's, it's 80s, so the music is usually fun, and some fucking, like, upbeat jam. So anyway, I mean, <laughs> that's New Year's Evil. It's not a great movie, but it's, it's fun, and I enjoyed it, um... But I like horror movies. You know, if you didn't like horror movies, I don't think there's any way that you would like this movie. Because uh, it's it's not... Like, the things about it that are good are not defined enough to make it a great movie. And I could see, like, a horror fan really latching onto it for whatever the fuck reason. And um, it's, it's fun because, like, there's footage... In LA, I always like LA in movies because I live in LA for I lived in LA for um, or around LA for like my whole life up until I moved up here. So it's fun to see it like in the 80s. Like oh shit, I remember when shit looked like that. <laughs> anyway, it's it's uh what I don't even know. <laughs> like now that I'm thinking about it, it's like. Was it even in L.A.? <laughs> Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it was eight days ago or seven days ago. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> anyway, um, I would say if you if you like horror, go into it with low expectations and uh, just have fun with it. Uh, if you don't like horror... Uh, I'm sure there are other New Year's movies for you to partake in. Um, I know that uh, Hong Kong has a number of Chinese New Year movies every year. Um, and so in a pinch, you can always watch one of those. Gong Hai Fat Joy. <laughs> um, Alright, so that, that fulfills the horror section of the movies that I watched. And now comes nine straight Hong Kong movies. Holy shit. I'm probably going to have to go to sleep and 
come back to this shit in the morning <laughs> or in the middle some fucking <laughs> like I can't even get the sentence out I'm all like <laughs> all tired and shit Jesus I usually end recording about now but I didn't get started until way late oh man I'm fucking yawning like every five seconds I think I'm gonna stop there I'll come back to it, man. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it'd be funny if I just put this part out and then left people hanging. <laughs> like, uh, there's uh, there's only a couple of people that listen to this, I would imagine. Um, I mean, I know a couple of people that I actually know <laughs> listen to this, but then beyond that, I don't think anybody else is listening, which is fine. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how even people that I know are listening to this. It's, <laughs> but it'd be funny if I just put this shit out and then, like, waited a few days and then put out the rest. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I gotta stop. I'm fucking dying. <sighs> Talk, you animal. All right, I'm back, and uh, let's uh, let's talk about some more uh, stuff. So, uh, in moving into the Hong Kong movies, uh, the the next movie that I watched is uh, a Sammo Hung directed movie called The Prodigal Son, starring Yoon Byu and uh, Lam Ching Ying, Sammo Hung, Frankie Chan, uh, the usual suspects. A whole bunch of other people, Lee Hoi Sang, uh, you know, all those people that are normally in uh, a Sam Hung movie from uh, the uh, the early days. Uh, Prodigal Son was 1981, and I've been trying to go through uh, and and finally watch a lot of these Sam Hung movies that I've never seen, um, starting at the beginning. And I probably, I don't know, I probably talked about that, because I think I talked about Knockabout. Well, and I, I know I talked about Encounter of the Spooky Kind. So anyway, I'm continuing on that. This time I, I hit up Prodigal Son. And like all of these early uh, Sammo Hung movies that he directed, it's fucking great. Like, <laughs> there's a, no bullshit, man. This is fucking great. Um, I think I like, I like Knockabout and Warriors 2 better than Prodigal Son, I would say. Um, but, I mean, it's a fine fucking line, because Prodigal Son is dope. Just straight up dope. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, so Prodigal Son is basically, uh, Yoon Byu is the star, and he... He's the son of a rich man, and the rich guy has kind of paid these, um, like, I, like he has little, like, like bodyguards or whatever follow his son around, and they bribe um, the townspeople into fighting Yoon Byu and losing, so that like, Yoon Byu thinks he's the greatest fighter ever. Um, but then, 
he uh, he comes in contact with Lam Ching Ying's character, who is um, a member of a, a Peking Opera Company, and he fights with him, and this dude just wipes the floor with him, and it kind of fucks with Yoon Bu's brain, and he's just like, oh my god, I thought it was great, I'm so not great, you have to teach me, uh, but the guy doesn't want to teach him, and so then he just kind of forces his way in, and, and the movie uh, uh, opens up a bit, and then eventually we get to see, you know, there's a big end battle, and uh, it's fucking great, like, <laughs> fucking straight through, man, it's a great movie, and there's one thing about Sammo Hung's movies that's interesting, and I would say different than something like a Jackie Chan movie, uh, in terms of their, their uh, directorial outputs like Sam Hung movies almost almost always are big ensemble cast movies they're not generally focused on one guy doing something and then you know and there's a couple of other characters like it's usually a big wide range of characters all all fucking dope doing dope shit <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but like, if you look at, like, Iron Fisted Monk, his first movie, he's the star of that, um, like, Sammo Hung is the star, but, but he's also, like, a supporting character, and there's no actual star star of the movie, it's just a, a series of, of great people who all kind of share the star, credit and warriors 2 is also very much like that because he's got uh lung kar yan the 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 guy who uh is known as beardy because he has that beard um casanova wong sammo hung dean check feng hakong lee hoi sang all these fucking guys are all like part of this grand ensemble and and there are main characters, but they're like the villains are as much of a main character as as the other guys. It's just like these fucking showcases for all these great martial artists and performers. That's kind of his thing. And then when you get past Prodigal Son and he starts doing the the Lucky Stars movies like Winners and Sinners, which is obviously a big ensemble, Wheels on Meals. He starts doing the Three Brothers movies, which, again, big uh, big cast, Millionaire's Express, um, Eastern Condors, fucking all these movies. Even something like uh, The Bodyguard, his newest movie. And whereas like <laughs> a Jackie Chan-directed movie is almost... almost entirely always focused on Jackie more than anything else like he's in fucking every scene almost <laughs> it's a little more uh, egotistical but I love Jackie no harm Jackie sorry <laughs> but uh, Samo is definitely more of a a giving director than than I would say Jackie is Anyway, if you haven't seen Prodigal Son and you like classic martial arts movies, uh, classic martial arts comedies, 
it's a fucking gem. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's a classic. Definitely uh, check it out. Oh, show. <laughs> uh, next up, I watched a Shaw Brothers movie from 1959. It's the earliest Shaw Brothers movies I've seen, and it is not a martial arts movie. It is a, a Hong, Hong Mei opera film, a yellow plum opera. And it is called The Kingdom and the Beauty. And this is a Shaw Brothers movie that uh, won Best Picture at, I believe, the Golden Horse Awards. Golden Horse Awards are uh, Taiwanese, um, kind of like, I don't want to say there's the Taiwanese Oscars, but it's it's very prestigious, um, like big deal for Hong Kong movies or any, any movie that wins Golden Horse Best Picture is kind of like, oh shit, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a main, it's a, you know, it's one of the top level uh, awards for that region. And there's also the Hong Kong Film Awards, which are um, also important in the, in the industry there. I'm not sure which one is more well regarded, you know. Who knows? But to me, I look at them both, and, and they they both offer uh, kind of, I wouldn't say a guide of movies that are known as good, but they, they offer an interesting look if you look at, at say, um, there's an action choreography section, as there should be for Hong Kong movies or, or Asian movies. And if you look at, like, what won those compared to like what was nominated and stuff you really get a like it's a strange um mix sometimes where something like like sammo hung and yun Wu ping and like jackie chan and all these fucking great people will all be nominated in a certain category and you know like there's there's a movie like if i have seen multiple of the nominees i'll be like oh man that shit in this movie should totally win but it some other movie that i think is is less deserving one and i just wonder is it like oscars where they're giving things out um with more than just straight up uh skill or Am I looking at it in a weird way because I'm uh, American? I don't know. Anyway, so Kingdom and the Beauty is um, 1959 musical and it's directed by Lee Han Sang Sang something like that. He is a a huge director in the Shaw Brothers uh, stable of directors. He was one of the most well-regarded um, of all the, the Shaw Brothers directors. And as far as I know, he never made a martial arts movie. And which is kind of notable um, <laughs> within the Shaw stable because they, when they were really ramping up production in, in uh, like the, mid to late 60s and early 70s when they were really going hard into that they um they wanted everybody to make a martial arts movie <laughs> like no shit 
Um, but they, they didn't force him into making one, as far as I know. I think he did make, he might have made, just looking at his, uh, at his lineup here, he did make a remake of, uh, or not a remake, well, he remade uh, Amorous Lotus Pan, the, the, the prequel to Delighted delightful forest that i uh, talked about on one of the early episodes he remade that in in the 80s as tiger killer uh, with t lung reprising the role and i don't know how much action is in that but i would assume with t lung that there is some action um so it looks like he did make uh, at least that one um but anyway my point is that I believe, and I could be wrong here, but I believe that Li Han Sang and Cheng Che were like the only two directors that had like full creative control over what they did and and what they made like completely. Because I know, like like it's like the the studios in Hollywood where there's directors that originate their own projects and are able to see those through and then there's like studio fucking directors who just kind of get hired on to projects and that's basically their career is is they're they're skilled enough to make a movie they have the chops and then they you know get a job basically whereas there's the more artistic side to that where uh, somebody is originating their own stuff uh, but anyway Lee Han Sang is is one of those and I believe he wrote Kingdom and the Beauty as well anyway uh, the point is is uh, this this movie is fucking great it's it's really well done very well directed very beautiful it's a Shaw Brothers movie shot in uh, traditional Academy ratio, 133 to 1, and not in Shaw Scope. Uh, so that was interesting. That's the first time I've ever seen that. And and I gotta say, seeing the Shaw sets and and the actors and every just seeing a Shaw Brothers movie in that ratio was really cool, like super cool, because Shaw Scope is such a thing. And you think like, well, what's the point of a Shaw Brothers movie in, if it's not in Shaw Scope? But uh, apparently, uh, it really doesn't <laughs> really doesn't matter. I mean, if the if the movie is is um, designed for 133, it really can look great. And and sometimes I forget how good old movies look in 133 before they were, you know, everything was widescreen. <laughs> Because the the level of composition needed to like make a nice shot in that that square box, um, I I feel like it's harder to make a nice shot. Um, and I could be wrong, but I, f I feel like the the square box doesn't necessarily lend itself as well, um, at least not to like landscapes and stuff like that. Um, the wide image for me seems to be more uh, just inherently beautiful. But this movie looks fucking great. It looks like a million bucks. 
<laughs> fucking stupid. Uh, and anyway, the uh, the story is is about this the emperor who learns about this kind of rural rural. <laughs> I hate saying rural because like I never can say it without making it sound like I'm fucking dragging the word through a swamp. <laughs> Just rural. <laughs> anyway, so he he's told about this this sort of country place. Um, where uh, his his like advisor or something is from there, and he hears about it, and then he talks to that guy, and that guy needs to go back home for some reason, and so the emperor is like, well, let me let me uh, dress in normal clothes, and I'll go with you because I want to check this place out, and then while he's there, he meets a beautiful woman who is uh, running a wine shop with her brother, and he falls in love. And uh, the woman's brother is played by um, the wonderful uh, director, King Hugh, who would go on to make such uh, wuxia classics as Dragon Inn and uh, Come Drink With Me and fucking Touch of Zen and many others, um, fucking pillar of, of the industry that uh you know his his the ripples of his work are continuing throughout uh today's martial arts films and but here he is in an acting role i've never seen him uh acting and he does a great job he's uh he's it's interesting because I, I don't think i've ever even seen him like a picture or anything he's he's like a little guy and he's kind of round and just a little dude and i don't know i mean i i think i I built this guy up in my brain so much because uh how uh like fucking great his movies are. But he's just a dude. Just a guy. Just as as everybody is, you know, we're just people. Everyone is just a guy or a girl. There's you know, it's weird when you think about it. And <laughs> probably sounds stupid. That's one thing listening to Mark Marin WTF podcast where I listen to every episode, I don't care who's on it, I'll listen to it. And I often find that, especially on episodes where I I have like a preconceived idea of how a person is, like I don't necessarily know who they are beyond like the movies they directed or something, and they... Um, like they directed some shitty movies that I don't like and I just have this sort of negative uh, opinion of them and I sort of, you know, <laughs> you sort of like, oh, this fucking guy and his shitty movies, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know anything about the guy. And then when you listen to the episode of of the guy talking for an hour with Mark Marin, it's like, oh, man, he's just a dude. And like... <laughs> He does you know, he's just a nice guy making his movies and doing his thing. And, like, yeah, the, you know, they don't appeal to me personally. But, like, he's not this malicious asshole, like, fucking making trash art. I mean, he's literally trying to make a movie, you know. Anyway, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's very, that show is very eye-opening. And, and in that, it it humanizes everybody that's on the show pretty much there's a couple of people that don't open up fully but it's really humanizing and it also creates this great sense of like um 
feeling like you're not alone because so many people are talking about how like they came from this fucked up childhood and they came from like um just like mental health issues and and oh my dad was like this or my mom was like this and oh yeah well I had to deal with all of this shit and you just learn like the human story like the everything that that goes into a person's life like we know these celebrities or or mid-level you know personalities or whatever comedians whatever that you know whoever's on the show musicians we know them from what we see from the outside but like there is a person under there and that's uh it's a very valuable thing that that his podcast is doing and I mean, I like him anyway. I liked him before the podcast, but like, it's really something special that he's uh, providing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kingdom and the Beauty. So this emperor falls in love with this girl, and then he um, has to go back because his mom, uh, the empress is like what if what the fuck are you doing out there you know you gotta fucking come home and then the movie goes on from there and anyway it's really good it has great songs the songs are not in in huang mei operas they're not it's not like a hollywood musical where they're bursting into like these kind of pre-written predefined songs with choreography and and like a big production there's some songs in the the few uh operas chinese operas that i've seen like in this one specifically there is a a song where um the main female character uh played by linda lin dai uh <laughs> anyway she's singing a song and there is like she's with this group of women and they're in the back like doing this this like uh fabric sort of uh waving dance because they have you know, big flowing robes on and but that's like the closest i've seen to big like choreography and and uh anything that kind of resembles a hunk uh a hollywood musical but anyway um they just kind of they go into song naturally out of dialogue and the songs can be anywhere from like two or three minutes like a regular song length to just a line or two and it's really interesting and I th it works really well like i like it and i i would like to see a hollywood movie that treated song like that where it was just just this part of life where it's just springing up naturally and then going away naturally and just sort of being this thing and then there's also um songs there's and it was in amorous lotus pan too where it's almost like a I don't want to say it's rapping, but it's it's rhythmic sort of talking where where it's in, it's there's not a melody 
but there's a rhythm rhythm and like a meter to the delivery of the of the lines and the the accompaniment the music is just like like a fucking wood block being hit like tick, tick, you know you know how the fucking dink dink i don't know i can't do a fucking wood block sound but just um and so like the rhythm of the song is like and so they're they're saying lines and stuff in the song and the way the one in amorous lotus pan is super rappy like it, it the the rhythm of that one is is really sounds like it's rapping almost but it's interesting it's just different forms of song um because I don't think, you know, anything like that exists in, in like, classic 50s Hollywood musicals. It's, uh, you know, I don't know enough about it to, like, really talk uh, with any sort of <laughs> knowledge. But anyway, Kingdom and the Beauty is great. Another little tidbit. Um, the movie features a little cameo from David Chang. Uh, who would rise to fame in the uh, late 60s and early 70s under the tutelage and direction of Cheng Chang as one of the studio's biggest stars. And in Kingdom and the Beauty, he's probably about 11 or 12, and he plays a little kid who's uh, just... There's like one shot of him clapping and smiling, and he looks exactly like David Chang. And uh, I tweeted it out, the picture, whenever I watched it. So if you if you missed that, go back on the on the tweet, tweet, uh, fucking whatever they call it, the tweet timeline or the <laughs> tweet line. <laughs> I don't know. Just uh, if you're interested, go back and see that. I put it on Facebook, too, uh, if you go to the Silver Emulsion uh, Facebook. Anyway, uh, and, and he's with a couple of kids in the shot, and the kids are his... Uh, brother and sister and I learned that from I don't just know that I learned that from the Hong Kong movie database because I looked at see who those kids were and it was like oh this is the fucking brother of David Chang and one of those kids his brother is a guy named Paul Chang Chung and wouldn't you know it he was in the next Hong Kong movie that I watched, which was almost 30 years newer than Kingdom and the Beauty. It's an 80s movie. And so I was very surprised to see, see like, oh, that's that little kid, and he's all grown up now. <laughs> um, and... Oh, his, ni <laughs> his name is not... Oh, I fucked up his name. Chang Chung is somebody else. That's, uh, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. But anyway, the guy's name is Paul Chun Pui. And he uh, is in the movie that I watched. And it's called Royal Warriors, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh. It is the second film in the... Uh, in the Line of Duty series, which, as far as I know, was not 
considered a series until uh, either this film or the third film. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is not in the third movie, but she's in the, the first two. And they're not sequels to each other. They're just, they just feature Michelle Yeoh as this fucking dope-ass cop kicking ass. Um, and the first movie is called Yes, Madam. And if you haven't seen that and you like 80s Hong Kong movies, you fucking gotta see it. Cynthia Rothrock is in it also, and it's fucking dope. Uh, but then Royal Warriors, uh, it's it's in the same vein, but it's for me it wasn't as good as Yes, Madam. Uh, but but <laughs> 80s Hong Kong movies are pretty um, even even like movies that aren't super great are still, like, incredibly enjoyable, because the fucking, the level of the action and the stunts and shit is so fucking high, and everything else, you know, I mean, it's fun, it's fucking Hong Kong, what do you want? <laughs> anyway, uh, the movie was directed by David Chung, who uh, also directed the the dope as fuck Michelle Yeoh movie uh, Magnificent Warriors is that magnificent yeah Magnificent Warriors and he also made Royal Warriors he's into warriors apparently um, <laughs> anyway um, it's really nice to look at very well directed uh, I would say that uh, Magnificent Warriors is the better movie uh, of the Warrior t <laughs> Warriors two. <laughs> um, but, uh, who cares? doesn't matter. They're both fucking dope-ass 80s, uh, Hong Kong action movies. So, you know, <laughs> uh, no matter which way you slice it, you're getting something dope. Uh, also of note in, uh, Royal Warriors is, uh, the main bad guy is played by an actor named Pai Ying. And Pai Ying, uh, became famous, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me look real quick. Yep, uh, he became famous when he was uh, star. He starred as the the villain in Jesus. I can't fucking talk. He he was the villain in uh, King Hugh's Dragon Inn, and uh, he played the eunuch in that movie. And then he was also in uh, A Touch of Zen, and the first Golden Harvest movie, Invincible Eight, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He, he played um, the eunuch in the Shaw Brothers movie, The Eunuch, which is a very fun um, movie that is not very well known. Uh, but if you're looking for a very under-the-radar Shaw Brothers movie, uh, that's a little early. It's like 71. Um, but it's very good. And Pai Ying plays a eunuch uh, because he was dope as fuck as the eunuch in Dragon Inn. Um, and then... Uh, this will this uh, leads me right into the next movie that I watched, uh, which is the 1972 movie uh, starring Angela Mao, Hapkido. And uh, Hapkido also stars uh, Carter Wong and Sammo Hung. And um, Pai Ying is also in this movie. And... <laughs> He fucking looks exactly the same. There's almost 15 years in between the two movies, but <laughs> he looks nearly exactly the same. Um, it's funny. Anyway, 
top keto. I know I'm jumping around pretty quick, but uh, to be honest, um, I'm in. I'm a little bit over an hour. I might. Yeah, I'm a little bit over an hour, and I still have a whole shitload of movies. Well, I guess. Well, with Hop Keto, it's six. So well, I could probably burn through that pretty quick. Because, you know, once again, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say about these movies. Uh, okay. So, Hapkido. I, I have some notes for Hapkido. Um, so, Hapkido is uh, a movie about... Can you guess it? Hapkido. <laughs> Hapkido is a Korean martial art that, uh, according to Wikipedia, is a form of self-defense that employs joint locks, grappling, and throwing techniques similar to those of other martial arts, as well as kicks, punches, and other striking attacks. Now, I'm not an expert on Hapkido by any means, uh, as evidenced by my usage of the Wikipedia entry, um, but I am familiar with it a little bit. I, I usually get it confused with Aikido, and Aikido is, is the martial arts uh, school that uh, Steven Seagal is a f fucking master of. <laughs> it, it, am, I, am I right in remembering that Steven Seagal is like the only white fucking black belt or some shit <laughs> he's like some level of black belt and he used to claim that he was like the only fucking westerner to ever achieve such a high rank or something <laughs> anyway aikido is a is a a thing where you're like uh using force against using the other person's force against them and uh like throwing by twisting hands and shit like that really cool stuff um, but Hapkido is not Aikido, and I, I don't really know a lot about it. Uh, let's let's uh, look a little deeper here. Hapkido employs both long-range and close-range fighting techniques, utilizing jumping kicks and percussive hand strikes at longer ranges, and pressure point strikes, joint locks, and throws at closer fighting distances. Hapkido emphasizes circular motion, redirection of force, and control of the opponent in a similar way to Aikido. Uh, uh, I'm adding that. Uh, and practitioners seek to gain advantage over their opponents through footwork and body positioning to incorporate the use of leverage, avoiding the use of brute strength against brute strength. Now, why am I at the Wikipedia entry? to explain Hapkido when I just watched a movie called Hapkido. Well, uh, they don't explain Hapkido or uh, really go into much of anything about the, the specific, the specificity, <laughs> fuck it, you know what I'm saying, specificity, <laughs> I can't fucking say it, it's, it's too late and I'm too tired, uh, but you fucking know what I'm saying. Uh, so... Anyway, they don't really explain it. They don't show anything that looks uh, too different than your standard 1972 
kung fu fight scene. And in it, which is which is interesting, because in the the subtitled version, um, the version that I primarily watched, they make specific reference to uh, the characters, like the the story of the movie directly relates to uh, Korea and uh, their relationship with Japan and also the the relationship between China and Japan and the movie is set during the time um, when Japan was occupying China and I don't remember if it's set during the first or second occupation and I'm not I don't remember specifically the years on that I know one of them is like the 30s or something like that 20s 20s 30s I think 30s oh, fuck I should look it up um, let's see the second Sino-Japanese War was 1937 to 1945. And the first one was 1894 to 1895. So, I'm going to guess that Hapkido is set in the 30s, because it sure didn't look like 1894. Anyway, not that it matters, but there is a, a historical backdrop uh, in the background. Anyway, so in the, in the, in the subtitles... They, they, the the movie begins in Korea, and they're talking about like these three Chinese um, students, uh, played by Angela Mao, uh, Sammo Hung, and Carter Wong, are in Korea learning Hapkido from some uh, fucking Hapkido master, and then they go back to China, and. Uh, Japan is occupying China, and then because in any movie where there are Japanese and Chinese people, in, in a, any classic kung fu movie where there are Chinese and Japanese people, uh, they are at odds, and uh, it is used as a um, let's beat the shit out of the Japanese people sort of <laughs> struggle. So, I, so then when they come back to uh, to China, they set up their own little Hapkido dojo, and the Japanese uh, school doesn't like it, so they fight. Uh, and that's basically the plot. Anyway, um, in the dubbed version, in the English version, they remove, I won't say all, because I, I didn't listen to the whole dub, but, but every time in the subs when they're talking about uh, Korea or Hapkido or anything like that, it's changed to be China and Kung Fu. So they just make it a Kung Fu movie, even though it's supposed to be Hapkido. And they get away with it because, well, who the fuck in 1972 in America watching this fucking movie would know, you know, the difference, first of all. But second of all, um, not that I'm, again, not that I'm not a fucking expert of Hapkido, but like, it just looks like regular old uh, 
Kung Fu from 1972. The, the choreography is good, I'll give it that. Uh, the choreography was done by... Oh, fuck, I should pull this up before I start talking. Um, where is it? The choreography was done by Sammo Hung himself, the, the master. And this was, um, you know, obviously early in his career before he had directed anything. And uh, he was pretty early on in his choreography career also, but he had been a stuntman for a number of years at this point. And, uh, like, his first credited uh, action director role is on the Shaw Brothers movie uh, The Golden Sword, which is directed by Lo Wei, um, of the, the later... Uh, of, the, of the early uh, Jackie Chan movie fame. Um, anyway... That's a great fucking wuxia golden sword, by the way. Um, but anyway, that's his first uh, credit as a action director, and that's 69. So this was three years later, and it's, it's well done. It's not great. Like, the choreography is still... Well, the choreography is fine, but the direction and like the editing everything isn't firing on all cylinders to sort of make the fights look as best as they can there's a lot of hits that are obviously not hitting and and stuff like that uh, which is fine I don't mind it but in terms of keeping keeping my mind on the fact that like I'm just like not not announcing like oh this is a movie like you're not watching a real fight. If if the movie is is theoretically working in every way, everything is is working together, all the technical elements. I'll just watch the fight and I'll just be fucking amazed, like all the '80s <laughs> fucking uh, Hong Kong movies. But like in this, you definitely see. Oh, that guy <laughs> was like two feet away from him with that kick shit you know and so it's it is a little bit harder to buy but um it's a fun movie nonetheless it's not a great movie it's 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 a classic i mean it's a well-known movie and angela mao is fucking great i i love her she has such a perfect uh look to her when she's like gonna kick somebody's ass she has this fucking like like icy fucking stare that is just pure gold but as a movie uh it could be a lot better uh also of note apparently jackie chan yoon Byu, Corey yoon and uh other Notable figures are, are stuntmen in the movie and can be seen in the movie. I think I spotted Yoon Byu, but I wasn't sure. I definitely didn't see Jackie Chan, but apparently he's he's around. I wasn't looking for him, uh, but, you know, I didn't see him. But he's there. People say he's there, so I don't know. Anyway, it's a good movie. I would watch it, but only watch it if you're uh, already a fan. I wouldn't I wouldn't make it your first talk, uh kung fu movie or hong kong movie or anything like that uh, but it's good it's good it's definitely better than the the fucking 
what was the movie that I watched before this? Like, because I have Shout Factory put out this little set of Angela Mao movies, and it's like five movies, and I, as I do, I started chronologically. And the first movie was Lady Whirlwind, and that movie was directed by the same guy that directed Hapkido, Wong Fung, uh, who is not a great director, um, judging off of the uh, two movies of his that I've seen. Oh wait, no, I have seen uh, I have seen another one of his movies, uh, the 1971 Shaw Brothers movie, The Crimson Charm, and I don't remember if I liked it or not my my first thought is that it was okay which would be in line with Lady Whirlwind which is the movie that he made right after Crimson Charm anyway um, is it I don't know because see this is hard to say because at this time 71 was when Golden Harvest started and he was the director also of the Angry River and the Fast Sword, two of Golden Harvest's 1971 movies. The first released was Invincible Eight, which I mentioned earlier. Um, but uh, I believe, if I if I remember correctly, the Angry River was the first Golden Harvest movie to enter production. So that would mean that even though the Angry River came out two months before the Crimson Charm, then uh, it must have been completed after the Crimson Charm. It's just much quicker. And the Fast Sword, when did that come out? That came out about, about the same time as Crimson Charm. Just a couple weeks different. So he made Crimson Charm and in the meantime, defected to the new Golden Harvest and made two fucking movies <laughs> before the other one really had a chance to be out for very long. Wow. Okay. Uh, so there you go. A little, <laughs> little uh, tangent into, into, I don't know, is that? <laughs> it's probably not very listenable. Anyway, so uh, Lady Whirlwind, he made before Hapkido, and that movie was all right. Um, I don't think I could say much more <laughs> than that. Um, but that movie also has Pai Ying in it, and Sammo Hung has a smaller part in that. And Cheng Yi, the Shaw Brothers, early Shaw Brothers star, and uh, he's also in a fucking shitload of other movies, too. Um, the one that springs to mind is the... Uh, what the fuck is that movie? It's a it's a Bruce exploitation movie that Jasper reviewed, and it's called Enter the Dragon, Exit the Tiger, Exit the Tiger, Enter the Dragon. No, I don't know. One of those. One of those. He's in that. Whatever that is. Exit the Dragon, Enter the Tiger, which is apparently. The Hong Kong title is Bruce Lee, the star of all stars. Um, oh, and that guy directed that. Okay. Well, I don't want to get down another rabbit hole, but the guy who directed that directed a, a uh, Shaw Brothers movie that I reviewed not too long ago. Um, 
a Taiwanese movie that Shaw Brothers bankrolled called The Escaper, uh, which, uh, if in my review, I, I asked the question, what was the first, the earliest Bruce exploitation movie? And uh, because I, I asked it, because The Escaper has a real strong Bruce exploitation vibe to it. There's uh, characters in that that are seriously looking like they're trying to be and fight like Bruce Lee. And that movie came out before Bruce even died, if I remember right. Because Bruce died, when did Bruce die? July 20th, 73, and Escaper came out June 9th. So even before he died, there might have been something of a Bruce Lee clone movie. I don't know if that was the intention, but it definitely has that feel. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> another tangent into nothingness. Um, what else did I say? The the featured villain of Hapkido is Pai Ying, uh, which I think I mentioned already, uh, which is funny because I, I'm, I didn't pick these movies for any specific reason. I'm just picking these things at random. Um, like, uh, I, I watch one movie, and then I go to my shelf, and I go, okay, so what do I want to watch next? And I kind of look, and I just pick something. And so to pick Prodigal Son... Wait, no, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't count. To pick uh, Kingdom and the Beauty, and it has, um, what was that dude's name? I don't know, Paul Chun Chui, I think was his name. Anyway, the brother of David Chang is in that. And then he's in, he has like a little cameo role in Royal Warriors, the movie I watched right after that. And then uh, Pai Ying is the villain of that. And then Pai Ying is also the villain of Hapkido. Just a boom, boom, boom. Like, what the fuck? And then it continues into the next movie. Because Carter Wong, one of the main supporting characters in Hapkido, is the star of the next movie that I watched. A movie directed by a notable uh, martial arts director out of... Taiwan, Joseph Kuo, and the movie that I watched is The 18 Bronze Men, and Carter Wong is the star, I think I mentioned that. Um, before I get into the movie, Joseph Kuo, if you don't know, is a, a guy that made a lot of movies in the martial arts field. Uh, he made... I think one or two Shaw Brothers movies. He made two Shaw Brothers movies in 1971. One being Mission Impossible, which is uh, pretty good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then another being uh, a movie called The Mighty One, which is also pretty good. Uh, so if you're into uh, early 70s Wuxia, those are two good ones. Mission Impossible is kind of hard to find. I had to hunt that one down, but uh, the Mighty One is a little more readily available. I mean, and by readily available, I mean Region 3 DVD <laughs> or other uh, less, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> less legal means, I guess. 
you could say. Um, but anyway, Joseph Quo was not did not become famous because of those Shaw Brothers movies. He became famous because of these movies that he made after Shaw Brothers when he went back to Taiwan. And so in Taiwan, he made the uh, the 18 Bronzemen. There's a sequel, Return of the 18 Bronzemen, that I don't know if, if that was very popular. But anyway, uh, it, it was made. Uh, but his most popular three movies are uh, The Seven Grand Masters with uh, Jack Long fucking great movie the the plot of that movie is hey uh, there's seven guys that you need to beat uh to be crowned the fucking king of kung fu so go fight them and then the guy goes and fights them and that's literally like the entire movie he just goes from one fight to the next and it's fucking fun as shit it's a great movie it it, it could be like the sheer amount of uh of, of fucking fight choreography in that movie uh, means that it's not all super top-notch, but for the most part, it's fucking great. Uh, and then he made uh, the movie Born Invincible, very famous uh, movie starring Carter Wong uh, that I actually haven't seen yet. Uh, and then he made the movie The Mystery of Chess Boxing, uh, which is the movie probably best known... <laughs> for uh, giving Wu-Tang Clan's Ghostface Killer his name. Uh, the character Ghostface Killer is uh, in the movie. Uh, but we're not talking about any of those movies. We're talking about the 18 Bronzemen. And fucking 18 Bronzemen is dope. It could be better. I will say that the first, like the first half of this movie is fucking phenomenal. I fucking love the first half of this movie, and while it was going on, I was just like, Jesus Christ, I see why this is such a classic. And then the entire movie shifts gears and becomes a 45-minute version of like an early 70s uh, Shaw Brothers wuxia, but it's not wuxia, it's a kung fu movie. Like, like, you know, no weapons, handheld, I mean, no, hand-to-hand, not, whatever, <laughs> let me start again, um, it's like a hand-to-hand wuxia, wuxia being swordplay movie with, uh, fantastical, uh, fantasy elements and flying people and stuff like that, but there's no flying people in 18 Bronzemen, unless there are, are I don't remember, <laughs> to be honest, it was a while back. That is like a week ago. Um, but I don't remember anybody flying. Uh, but anyway, the first half of the movie is um, two kids are brought to the Shaolin Temple. Uh, one kid is the son of a general uh, of the Ming Dynasty. And uh, the the fucking, what is it? Uh, The Qing Dynasty assholes uh, are trying to wipe out the Ming Dynasty generals and everybody. So they killed this dude's whole family, but um, uh, they managed to smuggle his young son, infant son, out of the castle. And he is brought to the Shaolin Temple uh, to learn martial arts and uh, secret revenge uh, 
uh, for his father and his family. And then there's another kid that is also brought to the Shaolin Temple. And the storytelling is a little shaky. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure what his story is. They they kind of they kind of go over it here and there, but it's more in pieces than in, than that first Ming Dynasty thing. Um, so I don't really remember it. But anyway, so then uh, the first half of the movie is just basically uh, these little kids are learning kung fu, and they show them as kids learning kung fu and it's really fun because it's little kids doing kung fu and then uh they keep growing up and eventually it's carter wong and a guy named tian ping a tian peng peng p-e-n-g peng peng tian peng um <laughs> uh and so then when they get older then they're, they're continuing to, to fight and to rigorously train and the only way that they can get out of the Shaolin Temple is to fight through the 18 bronze men, which uh, initially there's a couple of guys like in bronze armor suits that are really cool. And they do like like a full on choreographed fight uh, with them, which is really great, and very enjoyable. And then there's also... Uh, just dudes in like gold paint and they're all I mean it's all fucking fun it's super great really inventive stuff very fun great choreography and it's it's fucking great and then they they get out of Shaolin Temple and then they basically have to seek revenge and find the Qing Dynasty guy that killed the father and 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 there's some kind of reason for the the second kid to seek revenge too but uh, his dad was probably killed too i don't remember um but anyway they they go and then they have to seek revenge so that part is less interesting because it's just kind of ho-hum you know it's nothing nothing too inventive um but it's fun it's you know fun if you like kung fu movies uh, old school kung fu movies. It's it's 18 Bronzeman is like 76, I think. Yeah, so it's it's not too old, it's not too new, so it's kind of in that little sweet spot where stuff is pretty dope, but not at the level of like dope as fuck. <laughs> yeah, if that makes any sense. Um, but to go back to the idea of the second half being like a 45 minute version of like an early 70s Shaw Brothers Wuxia, uh, very similar to the kind of movie that he made when uh, Joseph Kuo made when he was in uh, working at Shaw Brothers. You can also look at the entire plot of the movie, the whole movie, even the training sequences and everything. And all of that fits into the general framework of uh, the, the traditional wuxia formula that is used uh, throughout many different uh, early Shaw Brothers movies. And that is uh, family is killed or the guardians or whatever is, are killed. 
and there remains a child and the child must learn kung fu uh, to then uh, exact revenge on the assholes that uh, took their loved ones or whatever there's variations on that but that's the basic formula but in the early movies uh, they didn't have any sort of training sequences ever it was just you know they either didn't know kung fu or they knew kung fu and in a lot of these early movies the um the call to revenge sort of thing the 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 reason for the revenge is laid out you see the family being murdered and the baby being whisked away to some fucking hermit monk or some shit and then from that point like at that point he the, the baby is is passed off to the 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 teacher and it, in in these days the the late 60s mid to late 60s and and even some in the early 70s it's usually a female who grows up to be like uh cheng pei pei or something like somebody like that lily lee or lily ho or something one of those uh anyway so they they do that scene and then they roll the credits and then under the credits they're showing like the the little kid growing up and not necessarily training but maybe doing a couple of very easily filmed tasks that could be seen as like oh they're getting better at whatever the fuck they're doing but it's not necessarily kung fu sometimes it is but anyway they they learn kung fu over the course of the credit sequence and then at the end of the credit sequence they know kung fu they're a fucking master and they set out on their journey and they leave their their mentor behind and it's a very classic formula that's used in tons of these early Shaw Brothers movies and to say it like that it's like it feels like I'm disregarding all those movies but most of them are very fun and they all generally have their own spin on it it's not always like beat for beat exactly the same but the in general it is uh, so, but in this movie, in 18 Bronzemen, they just take that same formula, and instead of of condensing the training, they just fucking stretch that shit out to be the first half of the movie, and then condense what would have been the, you know, hour and 20 minutes or something after the, the opening credits in the Shaw Brothers movie, they just condense that into 40 minutes or whatever the... the second half of 18 Bronzeman was and so I, f I personally found that very interesting and uh, engaging to see uh, but it's a good movie if you haven't seen it and you like classic kung fu I would definitely recommend uh, the 18 Bronzeman and here we go again with the connections and again these are all picked at random I I fucking had no idea that these would all connect. But, uh, they do. So, you know what? Actually, the next movie that I watched is not... Fuck. 
the next movie that I watched was not even 18 Bronzemen. <laughs> no, I skipped a movie. Oh, shit. Oh, and then the next one that connects to 18 Bronzemen isn't even the next one after that. Ah, uh, whatever. Well, I'll just do that one next because they fucking connect. And so <laughs> I could edit this out and then it seemed like I'm a fucking genius of random uh, selection. But anyway, even if even if they're not back to back, um, it's still pretty fucking crazy that, that I picked this, these movies all within a short space of time and they all kind of connect. Or Hong Kong rips themselves off uh, quite a bit and and or uses the same actors in similar roles <laughs> but anyway I, I, I there's enough Hong Kong movies where I could have easily picked movies that had no connection whatsoever so anyway um, 18 Bronzeman features Bronzeman obviously I mean I would hope <laughs> a movie called 18 Bronzeman if it had no Bronzeman it would <laughs> it'd be pretty fucking disappointing um, and you know what's funny about that? 18 Bronzemen, they're kind of gold. <laughs> and let's just say that the 18 Bronzemen are the gold standard <laughs> of Bronzemen. <laughs> I don't know how many kung fu movies feature Bronzemen, but for the sake of argument, let's say that the Bronzemen of 18 Bronzemen are the gold standard of Bronzemen in Bronzemen kung fu movies. So, with that uh, being taken into account, then uh, the bronze standard of Bronzemen, bronze being the lowest, um, I mean, I guess I could go to some lower metal, but... I don't know the hierarchy of, of metals, <laughs> so I'm going to stick at the three metal, uh, easily understandable gold, silver, bronze, and say that the bronze standard of bronze men in bronze men featured kung fu movies is the clones of Bruce Lee. <laughs> now... Clones of Bruce Lee. I, I talked a little bit about uh, Bruce exploitation when I was talking about uh, that Shaw Brothers movie, The Escaper. But the Clones of Bruce Lee is a full-on fucking Bruce Lee clone movie, as as evidenced by the title. And what's great about this movie is that in a lot of, pretty much in all of the <laughs> Bruce Lee clone movies. I don't know that they ever go full-on sci-fi with the idea as much as they do it in The Clones of Bruce Lee. So, so this fucking movie, basically, Bruce Lee dies, as he often does at the beginning of uh, Bruce exploitation movies. And I'm no expert, so if I say something wrong, feel free to correct me or, uh, you know yell at your fucking speakers or whatever because <laughs> uh, I know I know Jasper is it's kind of a big uh, uh, what do you say big fan I don't want to say big fan yeah and I want to say scholar because I don't know how much how like scholarly you get about them but I know that you're really into these so I feel like I have to do them justice and I don't I don't know enough to really do it justice. But anyway, so clones of Bruce Lee, they take it real sci-fi because Bruce Lee dies. And then uh, the dude 
who plays he's in fucking uh way of the dragon the brute the actual bruce lee movie and his name is john ben i believe yeah john t ben a white dude uh with the beard it's like kind of an old guy anyway uh so he's in the movie to to lend some <laughs> credibility to clones of bruce lee and uh, he's kind of a doctor, professor dude, and he goes over to where uh, Bruce Lee's body is, gets some blood, and develops some clones of Bruce Lee. Actual uh, <laughs> fucking clones. And so, right there, I mean, that's just a couple minutes into the movie you know that you're into some serious shit <laughs> when the movie just starts by cloning actual Bruce Lee. And the movie really doesn't disappoint from that point forward. So uh, he clones three Bruce Lees from Bruce Lee's blood. We have Dragon Lee, Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lai. Now, see, now that's the thing I was thinking of when I was watching this movie. So, Bruce Lie, L-I, that's Bruce Lie, right? He's not in this movie. But then there's Bruce Lay, who is in this movie. Bruce Lee, L E, Bruce Lee, and then there's Bruce L A I. So is that Bruce Lee? <laughs> is that Bruce Lie? Is that Bruce Lie? <laughs> I don't know, and I feel like I used to know this, or I should know this, but how the fuck? Like, how do you distinguish this guy? There's got to be a better way. Um, his real name is not not Bruce Lie. Obviously, <laughs> that's the dumbest shit I've ever said on this fucking podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, so Bruce Lay, Dragon Lee, and Bruce Lie, as in L A I, are are the three Bruce clones in this movie. The Bruce, uh, uh, there is actually another Bruce um, in the movie called Bruce Thai, because they go to Thailand, and there's uh, apparently uh, Thailand has a, its own Bruce Lee clone, and his name is Bruce Thai. And But as uh, Uncle Jasper reviewed this movie for, for his Silver, Silver Emulsion um way back in the day and uh as as jasper noted in that review bruce ty even though he fucking looks and dresses just like bruce lee <laughs> he's not supposed to be a bruce lee clone he's just supposed to be a dude <laughs> which is one of the funniest shit in the whole fucking movie <laughs> one of the funniest shit <laughs> What the fuck, Will? <coughs> it's getting late, man. 
My fucking brain's losing it. Anyway, he's not supposed to be a Bruce clone, even though he wears the fucking, like, half-shaded glasses. <laughs> those big fucking glasses that Bruce wears. <laughs> I love those fucking glasses. All you gotta do is <laughs> throw a fucking, like... Uh, I could probably be a Bruce clone if you threw on a wig, like a Bruce Lee wig and those fucking glasses. <laughs> and I start flicking my nose. <laughs> I could be Bruce Will. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, so they also got uh, Bolo Young to be in the movie to lend some uh, credibility, some Bruce credibility to it. Because he was uh, in uh, Enter the Dragon. And that's where Bolo got his name. Because his character was named Bolo in the movie. And it just kind of stuck because, uh, you know, hey, why not? Also of note in the cast is uh, Cheng Tao. Cheng Tao uh, uh, is not a well-known actor, I don't think. Uh, I didn't know who he was until I started watching uh, the Shaw Brothers movies that he is in, which are the, I don't know when he came in uh, to those movies, probably 73, something like that. Um, let me check real quick. His first movie with Shaw was... Oh, yeah, I was looking at that guy. That's true. <laughs> There's another Joseph Kuo movie from Taiwan that Cheng Tao is in, and it's called... <laughs> can't even say it. The Seizure Soul Sword of a Blind Girl. And that is one hell of a title, and I, I have to see this movie. 1970, so it's probably not especially great, but... With a title like that, I mean, how can it not be good? <laughs> you know. Anyway. Um, so Cheng Tao came to Shaw Brothers. Oh, he's in Shadow Girl. Shadow Girl is a Taiwanese movie that, that Shaw Brothers um, co-produced or, or bankrolled or whatever. It's, it's well, it, ha it has Run Mei Shaw as the producer, it says. So I don't know. Anyway, they produced that movie, but it doesn't, it's, it's fun. It's really fun, but it's not a great movie. It doesn't really feel like a Shaw Brothers movie because it was made in Taiwan, but whatever. Anyway, um, so it looks like his first real Shaw Brothers movie is the Chen Kuntai movie that is kind of a sequel to Boxer from Shantung, uh, the movie called Man of Iron, uh, which is a pretty good movie. Chen Quintai uses a fucking uh, bicycle to like beat dudes up, and then he grabs the fucking chain from the bike, and he wraps it around his fists and starts beating the shit out of people. <laughs> it's a fun movie. It's it's trashy. It's not a good like uh, a really great movie, but it's fun. Yeah, so that's that's Cheng Tao's first Shaw Brothers movie, but the the real. Um, the real great shit that he's in is like he's he plays a villain pretty much in every movie that he's in. Um, he's one of the main villains in The Savage Five, which is fantastic. He's um, he's in all of these movies. I don't remember him in these movies though. But he's a main guy in Five Shallon Masters, Shallon Martial Arts, Men from the Monastery fucking, you know, all these fucking Disciples of Shaolin, Boxer Rebellion, Challenge of the Masters, you know, he's he's in some fucking 
heavy hitters, and he's dope. He's a, he's a great uh, actor and and a great uh, screen martial arts performer. Uh, but here he is, kind of slumming it in uh, <laughs> Clones of Bruce Lee. And I gotta say, as much as I like Cheng Tao, he doesn't uh, really <laughs> he doesn't show much of his greatness here in in the Clones of Bruce Lee. And so I can kind of see why he <laughs> he didn't continue to be at that high level of. Uh, like the Chang Che movies that he he became famous for or whatever famous to me for. <laughs> so I don't know. Do I have anything else to say about this fucking? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the bronze clones in this movie, the bronze standard of bronze men. So these bronze men are created by like this evil fucking drug dealer guy or some shit like that and they're invincible it's not like a matter of training and then you can get past these bronze men these bronze men are just almost like zombies and they're fucking invincible and <laughs> I can't I don't even know how the fuck to say it, but the way that they defeat uh, these these bronze men is that one of them like I th one of them like gets knocked down or something, <laughs> and his face like falls into this big fucking tuft of grass, and for some reason he starts eating the grass, and then he dies, and. They're like, well, what the fuck was that? And and somebody there, I don't remember who, was just like, oh, yeah, well, this grass is fucking poisonous, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so then they grab fistfuls of this fucking grass. And then when they're fighting <laughs> the fucking bronzeman, <laughs> they just <laughs> stuff a fistful of this grass into their mouth. <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then they die, <laughs> like instantly. <laughs> and then, like, some of the bronzemen, it's like they ran out of fucking paint. And so, some of the bronzemen are completely bronze, head to toe. They're they're wearing like uh, like briefs, underwear briefs, and every that's gold. Everything's gold. But then there's other dudes that like it's like they ran out of paint because <laughs> there's just guys in in regular uh, underwear <laughs> with no fucking color. <laughs> it's so fucking shitty, but shitty in a fantastic way. There's the entertainment value of this movie is very very high. Um, <laughs> I think it was the Bronzeman fight, but I'm not sure. But there's one fight towards towards the end where they're all fighting in like this fenced in backyard it's like a suburban backyard it's like if i just filmed a fucking fight scene in my backyard <laughs> it's so funny i love it super fun super fun movie um anyway it's uh that movie was directed by a guy named joseph kong hung also known as Joseph Velasco, and if I remember, if I if I remember right, or if I had uh, the right information, 
he is a Filipino dude uh, who made movies in the Philippines as well as um, nope Joseph Velasco was born in Taiwan okay well there you go there goes my fucking theory on that I know he made some Filipino movies though because he made a bunch of these Bruce clone movies not not the same like Bruce clone movies but where they actually clone Bruce but a bunch of Bruce exploitation movies yeah like this one was in the Philippines Return of Bruce is <laughs> fucking Return of Bruce starring Bruce Lay L-E <laughs> oh and Lole is in that movie too oh and Cheng Tao fucking A it's probably a shitty fun movie um Anyway, so this guy made a, a fuckload of uh, Bruce Lee uh, clone movies, and it's kind of like his thing. Like, he made more Bruce clones than other movies in his career. It looks like his first one was Bruce's Fingers, <laughs> also starring Bruce Lee. Ooh, br fucking Michael Chan, Wai Man, and Lo Lei, Nora Miao, fucking A, Cheng Tao. <laughs> Shit, that's a good cast. A lot of dude. Bolo Young has a cameo, fucking A. Bruce's Fingers, who knew? Also known as Bruce's Deadly Fingers. Well, there he is, jamming his fucking deadly fingers into uh, Lo Lei's stomach. <laughs> Can't be that bad of a movie if he's fucking jamming his fingers into his stomach. Okay, well, <laughs> enough of this. Fuck, he made a Bruce Lee clone movie in 1988? Holy shit. Bruce's Secret Kung Fu. Oh, oh, it's a fucking, it's a, a compilation movie. They took hybrid footage of Bruce and the Shaolin Bronzeman and Bruce's Fingers. Bruce and the Shaolin Bronzeman was 1982. Still, that's pretty fucking new for a uh, a Bruce Plantation movie. Who's in it? Fucking Bruce Lee. <laughs> Man, this is like they must have been buddies because he's in like every one of these movies. Ooh, Concord of Bruce. <laughs> oh, that looks like it's another uh, movie where they. <laughs> The fucking cover of this movie um, is under the title Ninja vs. Bruce Lee. And there's a guy that he's like in a beekeeper mask who I guess is supposed to be a ninja. <laughs> and then there's a picture below that like photoshopped on top of that of Bruce Lee holding like a fucking M16. <laughs> Holy shit. And that apparently is composed of footage from My Name Called Bruce. Um, oh, and they don't have a, a poster of that one. Oh, there's a poster. Doesn't have the M16 in that one. Fuck. <laughs> oh, man. One of these days, I've had requests from, from people on Facebook to do Bruce Ploitation movies. Uh, so maybe one of these days... I'll dig into these. I don't know. I don't know if I want to start another like <laughs> massive fucking series when I get done with another the other series. But anyway, 
Clones of Bruce Lee is fucking dope. Uh, if you haven't seen it, which I would imagine most people haven't, um, definitely watch it. Uh, and also, uh, if you're not going to watch it, uh, or if you do watch it, check out Uncle Jasper's review from uh, early on in the site. It's a, it's a really great review that uh, kind of goes over <laughs> uh the plot, the quote-unquote plot of the movie, and a lot of the funny uh, elements of said movie. Now, let's move on from there. I don't think anything else connects at this point. Um, no, I don't think so. I already talked about New Year's Evil. So yeah, doing this shit out of order always, like, that's why I do it in order, because I don't remember what the fuck I did. So I did that, so I need to talk about three more movies. Three more movies, I'm at two hours already. Alright, let's fucking do this. I can probably do this quick. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I say that now, but... Alright, now I don't have any more notes on anything, right? Right, okay. So, the, so now... Now that I've, I I was doing that ABC horror movie challenge, I know I mentioned it on one of these podcasts at some point, but anyway, I was watching a movie uh, one a week with uh, uh, the movie has to start with the next letter of the alphabet, whatever. So Zombie Nightmare was my Z movie, and then after that, I I decided that um, I would try to finish off all of the Sammo Hung movies uh, that, that he directed uh, as quickly as I could. So then uh, I watched Prodigal Son, and then the next week I watched uh, the next movie that I hadn't seen that uh, I had available to me, and that was 1986's Millionaire's Express. Now, I was talking earlier about the ensemble cast that uh, Samuel Hung likes to use in his movies. And I don't know, honestly, if there's a bigger ensemble cast in any of Samuel's movies bigger than the one in Millionaire's Express. There's, like, incredible people in this movie that have three minutes of screen time or have a small cameo. The movie is stacked with, like, so many fucking Hong Kong personalities uh obviously Sammo hung is in it yun Bu, uh they're the two main stars of the movie uh but then it also has i should pull this up before i start talking stupid (laughs) here we go now also i should note before i get into that um at this point in his career Millionaire's Express, 1986, he had already made a bunch of movies with Jackie. So after Prodigal Son, he made a movie called Carry On Pickpocket, then Winners and Sinners with Jackie, then another movie uh, on his own uh, featuring Michelle Yeoh and Dini Yip and James Tien, Stanley Fung. Uh, Again, another... uh, ensemble cast that movie's called the owl and dumbo i haven't seen that one uh, i haven't seen carry on pickpocket either and anyway so then he made uh, wheels on meals uh heart of the dragon 
Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars and My Lucky Stars. Uh, those are reversed. My Lucky Stars was first. But anyway, then he made Millionaire's Express. So obviously he's already like king of fucking Hong Kong movies at that that point. Um, thanks to his work with Jackie and Yun Biu. And so then he makes this movie Millionaire's Express, which features like fucking everybody. Um, Sam Hung, Yoon Byu, uh, fucking Eric Sang, um, even like there's there's these little tiny roles for people like Wu Ma and Meng Hoi, Yoon Wa, Lam Ching Ying. Like these guys are amazing people, each one of them, and they're just like little tiny roles for each one of them. James Tien's in it, Corey Yoon's in it. Um, Paul Chang Chung, the, the, the guy that I, I made mention of earlier incorrectly as being, um, uh, David Chang's brother, he's in this movie and he's the star of, uh, the Amorous Lotus Pan. This movie, he's just has a little cameo, but in Amorous Lotus Pan, the movie of 64, little, uh, Hong Mei opera, I talked about a number of episodes ago. Anyway, he's he has a little cameo in this. Also in a cameo role, uh, Johnny Wang Lung Wei, who is fucking dope as shit in the Cheng Che Shaolin movies. And literally here, he he's like, is fucking blinking. You miss him. <laughs> it's just it's nuts. Like the 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 amount of people that are in this movie. Cynthia Rothrock is in it, and she fights Sammo towards the end. Richard Norton is in it. Dick Wei, Fan Mei Sheng, the the great Fan Mei Sheng of uh, many 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 Shaw Brothers films, and also uh, he's in Story of Ricky, and he's also the father of uh, the main character in Story of Ricky, uh, Fan Shu Wang. Uh, that's his dad, Fan Mei Sheng. Um, fucking Chung Fat, Philip Kofei, Lau Kar Wing. Roseman Kwan is in this. Fucking Huang Jang Lee, uh, Yasuaki Karata, Yukari Oshima, uh, Richard Eng, fucking Jimmy Wang Yu, fucking uh, Sek Kin, Mr. Han himself from Enter the Dragon. Uh, Bolo Young has a very small cameo. Uh, there's a Shaw Brothers director who directed that movie that I mentioned earlier, starring Pai Ying, uh, the eunuch. Uh, the director of that, Teddy Yip Wing Cho, is, uh, makes a cameo appearance. He's also makes a bunch of cameos in in almost all of the Jackie Chan movies. Um, you know, it's it's a fucking stacked cast of Hong Kong greats. Um, f- just fucking, I mean, and that it's not even everybody. I'm just kind of going over this list kind of quickly. There's also uh, Chin Carlock. Uh, very uh, fantastic stuntman. I don't know if he's known much as an actor. Uh, he probably is in a bunch of shit. Uh, but I don't know if he has like big roles in anything. But anyway, he he's a member of... I think he's a member of Sammo Hung's stunt team. Or he was, anyway. I believe... Uh, but anyway, uh, he he later worked a lot with Jackie, and like in in uh, 
Thunderbolt when Jackie was injured and had to be doubled a lot. Chin Carlock is is almost usually almost usually. <laughs> Chin Carlock was usually the guy that that doubled Jackie in in Thunderbolt and other movies um, around that time. Uh, I don't know specifically, but definitely in in Thunderbolt. Anyway. Uh, so Millionaire's Express, big stacked cast, it's fucking dope, and it's all like action fucking greats. So you might um, be inclined to think that it is this balls-out fucking action movie, but it's not. It's primarily a comedy, and it's primarily kind of an adventure movie. And I say adventure movie in a very loose sense, in the way that Hong Kong movies transcend traditional Western genres, um, it's an adventure movie, it's a comedy, uh, but it's also very much a Western, and it's also got a bunch of crazy, crazy stunts, fucking Yoon Byu, like, just, just fucking, he's at, he's on the roof of, like, this two- or three-story building, and he literally just jumps off of it, but not just jumps, he does, like, a fucking, like, a flip <laughs> off of the fucking the roof and just lands on the fucking ground it's crazy <laughs> it's nuts um all kinds of crazy stunts like that uh and then there's there's little fights here and there yun Bu and sama hung fight uh, by some train tracks early in the movie or not early probably about halfway through uh and it's a little fight it's not super extended but it's really great and there's some other stuff here and there but then the end is like balls fucking out <laughs> like nonstop and and it's great because the whole movie you're seeing all of these stars of action movies from the early days with Jimmy Wang Yu the the first big kung fu star of of that modern era that that led directly to the the greatness of the Hong Kong industry, uh, thanks to the Shaw Brothers' rise to power. <laughs> they sound like the fucking Third Reich when I say rise to power. <laughs> um, so from like Jimmy Wang Yu, um, and even like uh, Sek Kin, the guy who who's Mr. Han in in Enter the Dragon. Um, he was the the main villain of all of the Quan Ta King Wong Fei Hung movies, and so and and those go back way further than than the Shaw Brothers martial arts movies, um, and and even in in Millionaire's Express he plays uh, an antagonist to Wong Fei Hung, who makes an appearance, and that's who Jimmy Wang Yu plays. Anyway. It's fucking great. And, uh, well, no, 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 never mind. Uh, Jimmy Wang Yu plays, plays Wang Fei-Hung's dad, Wang Ki-Ying, and then Wang Fei-Hung is a little kid, and, uh, Sek Kin has a kid, too, and they are, like, little kid kung fu fighting. It's fucking dope. Anyway, uh, the, <laughs> it just, it's, it's just a big series of, like, cameos and, and, story building it's 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 a really well done story it's a little like 
there's different edits of the movie so the version that I saw is a little bit shorter than the original Hong Kong release I have the Hong Kong blu-ray but apparently for the Hong Kong blu-ray they made their own cut of the movie it's not the theatrical cut it's not the international cut that was released in America um, apparently on DVD or whatever I don't think it ever got a theatrical release um, and each one of those cuts features material unique to one another and then there's the cut that I have on the blu-ray that's completely different than either of those cuts and it features elements from both of those cuts and it plays really well but you can definitely see like oh I bet there was a scene here because this just jumps and I looked at a listing of like what was in the other versions and definitely there's there's a bunch of stuff that's like oh man that would fill out a lot of cool shit there uh, so hopefully at some point I'll watch it again uh, with all the stuff put back in it um, but it doesn't really matter it's a good story it's about Sammo Hung kind of coming back to his uh, hometown and that he wronged in the past and now he's trying to make it right by uh, bringing prosperity back or what he thinks will be prosperity back to the, to the town um, but it's it's a comedy so it doesn't quite work out in that same way that he would like anyway so so i say anyway so much if there was a drinking game for this podcast where every time i say anyway you got to take a drink people would be l fucking lit up and knocked out by the time you know we hit 15 minutes so anyway <laughs> that one was on purpose um the whole movie it it's more comedy than action there's only a little bit of action throughout most of the movie but you're seeing all of these action stars and so I know that like younger me would have watched it and been pissed off like oh why aren't they fighting blah 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 but the now me watched it and was just enjoying seeing everybody together in a movie doing whatever they're doing because uh, I like Hong Kong movies outside of just the, the action movies and so and and I usually um enjoy Sammo Hung's brand of humor and and I found Millionaire's Express to be quite funny so I was just having a fucking ball and all these people are in the movie and I'm enjoying it and um, when the big finale uh, action scene comes it's like um, not everybody <laughs> that you've seen previously in the movie but a fucking shitload of these great action stars just all fucking fight at once and it's not one big brawl it's all these different fights that are happening all over this town and the movie is just cross-cutting from one fight to the next fight to this fight to that fight and it just goes all throughout all these fucking crazy fights with featuring a fucking range of some of the greatest martial arts performers of all time and it's it's fucking brilliant great fantastic it ends the movie at the highest fucking level you could possibly want it's a it's a fucking great movie um i loved it absolutely loved it 
Uh, and so uh, definitely watch it if you get a chance. Uh, so then the next movie, uh, the next to last movie that I have for the podcast here is Aces Go Places 2. So the first Aces Go Places I watched, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. This is a series that I had heard many things about when I was younger and first getting into uh, Hong Kong movies. It was one of those things that like the the title was recognizable and you'd be like, oh yeah, Aces Go Places. It's this big fucking series in Hong Kong. It's like really popular. Um, but at the time, I didn't see them. I just knew the name and it stuck with me all these years. And uh, it doesn't really feature anybody like... Uh, like Jackie Chan or Sam Hung or any any big names uh, that us Westerners sort of latch onto, and so I can see why we never watched them when we were teenagers. Um, and they're more comedies than they are action movies because of the the stars. Um, so the first one I watched a couple months ago and it's pretty good. I I wasn't. It was different than I expected. And that was, uh, I'd probably like it a lot more if I saw it again, because uh, now having seen the second one, and I really liked the second one, I don't know if the second one is just that much better than the first one, or if um, I was just more in tune with the Go Places style and rhythm. Um, but I would imagine that it's a bit of both. Uh, so anyway, the first one's good, it's funny, but it's not great. Uh, it's directed by Eric Tseng, the, um, comedic actor. Uh, now the second one is also directed by Eric Tseng, and both movies feature, um, Samuel Hui, 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 Samuel Hui, <laughs> that sounds so wrong, I've never actually tried to say their names, um, Samuel Hui, that sounds so wrong, Hui, <laughs> anyway, um, the Hui brothers, I think it's like Michael, Ricky, and Samuel, maybe there's some other ones, too. But anyway, they were like the kings of, of Hong Kong comedy, um, and they, they, they the success of their movies helped to bring Cantonese cinema back to Hong Kong, um, along with a couple of very specific Shaw Brothers movies directed by Chor Yoon, um, House of 72 or 73 Tenants, one of those, um, Oh, there's another one, too. Uh, fuck, I don't remember. It's a really famous title. Anyway, I don't... There's enough fucking <laughs> digressions and tangents on this one, but in a, in a very quick nutshell, um, in Hong Kong, they speak Cantonese, but in mainland China, they speak Mandarin, and I don't remember the reason why, but... Shaw Brothers made movies in Mandarin primarily, and then when The One-Armed Swordsman became a huge hit, 
it also defined Mandarin language movies as being um, like the the seal of great movies, and because it was they were produced with so much uh, more production value than than the the older Cantonese movies. So then Mandarin became the dominant language in Hong Kong for Hong Kong films, even though the people who uh, live in Hong Kong don't speak Mandarin for the most part. And for the most part, also, the actors themselves didn't necessarily know Mandarin. And so when they were creating the, the Mandarin audio, the original track for the movie, most of the time the actors don't even dub themselves because they don't speak Mandarin. And you can see a great example of that if you watch um, any David Chang and T. Lung movie uh, from from you know the late 60s into the 70s, whenever, and you you watch their watch it in Mandarin, watch their Mandarin voices, and then uh, try to get a hold of uh, the the Shaw Brothers Hammer movie Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which features David Chang, or and or the Hammer Shaw Brothers movie Shatter, which features T. Lung. And both of those movies were shot with sync sound, which is something that, that Shaw Brothers did not do at the time. And they both feature uh, David Chang and T. Lung's natural speaking voice, which previously was not in uh, the Shaw Brothers movies, even though they had been in tons at this point. And their voices are way different than their Mandarin dubbed voices. Um, who who knows who those voices are? But it really took me for a loop because it was like I've known what these guys sounded like, and then I heard what they actually sounded like, and it's nothing like that. So it really surprised me. Anyway, um, so then then Mandarin was the dominant force of of Hong Kong cinema, even though they didn't speak it in in the region. But uh, there were a couple of, like I said, Chorian movies that, that specifically used Cantonese um, because they were set in Hong Kong and they they were using like wordplay and, and Cantonese slang and uh, puns and things like that. Things that only work in Cantonese. And they were fucking massive hits. So then... Uh, they started producing more Cantonese movies. This is like 72, 73, something like that. And then um, eventually, then Golden Harvest started producing more. And as the comedies became bigger, then the Hui brothers made a series of movies in from the early 70s, probably into the 80s something like that but anyway those movies were huge like huge huge the one movie from 74 uh games gamblers play i think was the number one movie of the year above anything else and i think that was the first movie that they all did um like under the hui brothers banner uh, but i haven't seen any of those movies so i don't really know too much about them other than the little language things surrounding them but then to continue that the language thing eventually uh, Cantonese won over the the industry 
um, because as Golden Harvest became more and more of a, of a uh, equal quality rival to Shaw Brothers and Shaw Brothers, uh, the, the style of the Shaw Brothers film, uh, studio bound film kind of waned and they were still producing stuff in Mandarin a lot um, at that time still. I mean, some of it, they were probably half and half probably at the end. Um, but like Golden Harvest was pretty much just straight up Cantonese. And so the audiences weren't viewing Mandarin in the same way. Anyway, this is a real like haphazard explanation to it, but um, there's there's something of a reason. You know, there's not something of a, there is a reason why Shaw Brothers movies are Mandarin, even though the the region speaks Cantonese. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's enough of that. Uh, Aces Go Places too. Really great movie. The other star after Samuel Hui is Karl Maka, and uh, Aces Go Places was made um, for Karl Maka's uh, studio, and that studio is Cinema City. Um, Cinema City, uh, if you don't know, is a very famous... Hong Kong studio that was only uh, operating like in the 80s pretty much I think I don't think they made any 90s movies and it was a joint venture between Karl Maka, Dean Sheck and Soy Hark. Soy Hark I don't think was a full partner he was he was a producer and a director there but I don't, I, th I feel like there was a third guy too. Raymond Wong, that's who it was. So Raymond Wong, Karl Maka, Dean Sheck, in 1980, put together Cinema City. Uh, the last movie, according to Wikipedia, was Blue Lightning in 1991. And so they be, they were just a uh, independent studio producing movies, but a, a lot of these movies that they produced were very successful, such as the Aces Go Places series. And uh, they also produced A Better Tomorrow, the John Woo movie, and a bunch of Soy Hark movies from this era, like uh, fucking Peking Opera Blues is, is probably the big one um, that's, that's jumping off the page here at me. But um, Better Tomorrow's huge, Prison on Fire, the Ringo Lamb movie, fucking i don't know school on fire also a whole bunch of shit anyway um so they're big races go places is they're like big series though and uh so th they're kind of like james bond spoofs but to say it like that is kind of diminishing the uniqueness of these aces go places movies but anyway there's a lot of gadgets and a lot of like spy intrigue that <laughs> like is funny because they always fuck it up and shit like that um 
But anyway, in the second movie, there's robots. I don't think there's any robots in the first one that I remember, but there's a bunch of robots in Aces Go Places 2, and it's very fun. If you like the first one, you should definitely see the second one, because it's better, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know what else to say, <laughs> honestly. It's it's good, though. It's a, it's a really funny movie. Uh, and then the last movie for the podcast, thank God, is going to be the 1996 Hong Kong movie called Big Bullet, directed by Benny Chan. And Benny Chan, um, his next movie after Big Bullet was uh, co-directing uh, with Jackie Chan, uh, the movie Who Am I? Uh, but anyway, Big Bullet is a crime action movie and it's about a cop who he's like a I don't know what what uh, what department he's in but he's he's in some like serious shit department <laughs> so he's in the serious shit department where they take care of serious shit and um, his boss, like, fucking sets him up to fail at this raid, because they're trying to get, like, this, like, this kid is kidnapped or something, and they're trying to get him out, but his, uh, the main character's boss, uh, fucks him over. So then he gets demoted down to the emergency unit, and, I'm not quite sure what the emergency unit does, but they go out as a team of like five or six people and they have like a, like a little van and they go and respond to emergencies, I guess. But it's, it's, I don't, there's nothing really in American policing that I think really uh, is a direct correlation or corresponding thing or whatever. I don't know. If those aren't the right words, then fill in the right word here <laughs> um, but anyway so then he's just fighting um, to solve this case even though he's not really on the case anymore and because the, it, towards the beginning of the movie um, there's like a prison break where where Anthony Wong with long hair looking fucking like mean as shit and dope <laughs> like i don't know he looks fucking cool um he breaks out his his boss who is played by the martial artist known as uh no martial artist known as like known as iron fist mcgee <laughs> no it's a it's a actor named yu rong guang and he is uh he's he's in iron monkey yun Wu ping movie iron monkey um, that's where I know him from. He's fucking great in that movie, and he's also in a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, and I, I really like him. He's like one of my um, favorite unsung Hong Kong actors. Uh, I really like uh, his his thing that he does. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> anyway. Um, so it's just a kind of a tense action thriller. It's it's really good. It's not great. 
I remember seeing this when I was a teenager and liking it a lot. Um, I like it a lot less now because most of the movie is shot in close-ups. Like, it's just big fucking heads all the time, and that always bothers me. Um, but uh, the action is really great, really fucking absurdly over-the-top, as great Hong Kong action should be. Um, they're all gunfights primarily, um, and, like, in the first gunfight, they fucking blow this dude's hand off, and you just see, you see, like, his hand get fucking ripped off, it's great, it's fucking great, and all the squibs in the movie are real fucking juicy and meaty and just, it's fucking awesome, um, maybe a little bit too long, I don't know, it seemed a little bit, uh, kind of like it needed to be tightened up in terms of tension because like the story is there but it's not good enough to to keep you engaged like there's not enough character to the characters to really keep you engaged when the movie isn't firing um, at like the intensity level of the action scenes but it's a good movie um, and if you like Hong Kong movies you should see it if you don't, uh, I don't know, watch it anyway, because Hong Kong movies are dope. Uh, <laughs> so, fucking two and a half, uh, currently, fuck. This might be the longest one, I don't remember how long the longest one currently is, but I believe this one is going to be it, uh, and that's fitting for Podcast Gigante. <laughs> um, so... Coming up on the site, uh, well, I didn't have a show last week, so what did I do last week, in case you didn't look at the site? I put out a review for Jackie Chan, My Stunts. Uh, Jackie Chan made a documentary about his stunts, and it kind of, um, if you're a Jackie Chan fan, I would definitely recommend that you see it. It's fucking great, and if you're interested in filmmaking at all, um, specifically like action filmmaking and and sort of learning the tricks of the trade. It teaches you a lot of, of great tricks that would be usable to literally anybody uh, with some fucking uh, determination to make them work. And uh, so that's a fun movie. I put a review of that last week. And then, or well, by this point, that you're listening to this, would be two weeks ago. But anyway, who gives a shit? Steven put out a review of an anime called Dominion Tank Police. Uh, it's one of those animes that I remember the box art <laughs> for, but I don't think I ever saw. So uh, check out that review. It's already up on the site. And then the Shaw Brothers re review for that week was The Young Rebel from 1975. And it's directed by T. Lung, starring uh, David Chang. It's, it's a quite a good movie um it's the last movie that t-lung directed he directed one movie before that and uh the strength of young rebel is is enough to where uh, i wish that t-lung made more movies because he seemed to be shaping into a pretty fine director but uh, apparently for some reason it didn't agree with him and so that's his last movie and then coming up on the site this current week um, I don't know. Uh, this podcast will be uh, going up at some point in the week. 
Um, the only other thing that I have, see, I was supposed to do a couple of lists in this time off that I've not been reviewing anything, um, but I haven't been able to finish them uh, in time, and I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm not working especially hard on them. It's more of just um, shit got fucked up, and I didn't get the time that I usually get. Like, we had this big fucking ice storm. I, I know I talked about the ice storm a couple weeks ago, and then it snowed just a few days ago. And then, like, Saturday is a day where I usually get a good chunk of hours to work on stuff, because uh, Laura's mom comes over. And then, like, it snowed for fucking, like, six hours that morning. <laughs> So, uh, it was all dangerous to come over, and so we just said, ah, whatever, just don't come over. And so I didn't get that time that I usually get. So anyway, um, I'm going to try to get one of the two lists that I'm working on out uh, by the end of the week. And that list will be the top ten uh, new-to-me movies that I saw in 2016. And... Uh, so we go from there. Um, so that's it. That's the fucking podcast gigante. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you have feedback, thoughts on any of the films that I talked about, uh, then send it in uh, however you'd like. And, uh, I mean, I'll accept a carrier pigeon if you'd like. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat, as I like to say. And uh, send it in, and, and uh, that's, that's the show. So um, hope you have a good week, and I'll talk to you later, hopefully uh, in actually one week instead of uh, skipping a week like last time. That kind of threw me off. Um, so I'll talk to you later. Adios. You have to be very careful with fines here. I come in here, I checked out all the fire exits. <laughs> Cause I am not burning up again for nobody. But what if people clog the doorways and you can't get out? I'll eat through somebody's asshole to get out. I'll be outside laughing with the firemen and shit. <laughs> Damnest thing we ever did see. Twenty people in there with the assholes eating out. You know anything about it, mister? <laughs> Nope.